Welcome to The Christian Therapist. If you enjoy this podcast, please feel free to go into Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review as well as your comments. And you can leave your comments on Anchor as well through a voice message. And if you really like us, share us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you so much. Enjoy. Hello, hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in. My name is Akaimi McCoy, and I am the Christian Therapist. And today I have a special guest. Her name is Margaret Conley. And I do want you to know that anything that's going to be shared on this podcast is not meant to be a replacement for therapy with a licensed mental health professional. It's for educational purposes only. So let me tell you about Margaret Conley. She has been in ministry and social work for over 10 years focusing on the Black church, the Black family, and the stability of African-American mental health in the context of faith-based trauma. Margaret's educational endeavors include a BA in anthropology and sociology from Valdosta State University, master's in social work from Clark Atlanta University, and a master's of divinity from the Interdenominational Theological Center. Margaret is the owner and lead counselor at MLC Consulting, LLC, and the president of Mending Life Concepts Empowerment Group, Inc., where the focus of care is directed towards serving minority populations at the intersection of spirituality and emotional wellness. From this work, Margaret has produced an evidence-based model focused on faith-based trauma treatment titled Healthy Holy Concepts, which is a clinically aligned theological methodology used to offer people hope for healing mind, body, and soul. Margaret is the creator of the renowned social media production, Health and Holy, Health and Holy Conversations, which is being formatted into a clinically aligned theological tool and curriculum, which is designed for practitioners, academics, and con- congregational leaders to engage in conversation around social justice, spirituality, and emotional wellness. Margaret also serves as a special guest reviewer on the editorial review board of the Journal of Social Services Research, and she also services as guest, I'm sorry, serves as a guest web lecturer for the 2030 Clergy Group with the United Church of Christ Southeast Conference. So, let's welcome Margaret Conley. So Margaret, I am so, so excited for having you as a guest and I thank you for doing this with me. I appreciate it. And just to let you know, you're just my third guest on this podcast. I'm not doing interviews with too many people. I've been solo. So thank you for agreeing to do this. I greatly appreciate you. Oh, no problem. I'm very excited. So I love what you do and I love how you stand and what you stand for. Um, and so I'm excited to be a part of, of this conversation. Like, this is huge for me. So yes, my listeners are going to get blessed. And so they're going to be blessed by this. So let me stop being crushing on my fan, being your fan. <laughs> <laughs> and let me get to the questions. So we can, you know, have the, you can have the opportunity to kind of tell your listeners, you know, what you, the message you want to give. So I'll start off with this first question. Can you tell the listeners what led you to utilizing spirituality in your practice? So what led me to utilize spirituality is I've been in church probably all of my life, um, but it wasn't always the best experience. Being Southern, being Black, being all the parts of who I am, it just was always 
some barrier there and it was my desire to find why it was this barrier. I was just thinking one day as I was reading, it was like, if we're made in the image of God and God is a creator, therefore we must create. And so what happens when someone limits that? And that is why I wanted to look at spirituality in practice because it really is in practice. We, we are spirit beings. So what happens when we limit that part of ourselves to just this two-dimensional piece and we forget about the God in us? What happens? So that's why. Were you using it from the initial start of your practice or did you decide to do it in the midst of practicing? I've been practicing solo for about a year. Um, I've been a social worker for about 10 years. And so, but I started in undergrad looking at this piece of spirituality added to just practice in life. Um, I come from a trauma home, a trauma environment. My father was abusive. Um, he abused my mother and I. And, but it was all based on biblical principle for him. Um, after he used drugs and after he tried to work through being a Vietnam vet and all of the things that he had went through prior to becoming, a, I want to say sophisticated parent, because that's what he used to say. <laughs> wow. um, but he would start to use biblical principle in order to push his abusive stance. And so it was something that I couldn't understand. It was something I didn't understand. Um, because again, you know, we're all made in the image of God. So why does this particular text allow you to abuse? And so even in undergrad, my work was looking at secondary post-trauma um, and looking at how someone with PTSD, wartime PTSD, of course, is what in the 90s is what people focus on. That it, it's, very, it's very sophisticated now. We find trauma <laughs> for everything. But how does that lead to post-secondary trauma um, for individuals a part of the household? based on biblical principle so okay. it was something that my advisor loved because she also studied spirituality and sociology <laughs> and so she loved everything i wrote she was like oh my god who thinks like that but i wanted to know how that works so i guess in turn i've been thinking about this a long time like about 20 years so <laughs> wow. yes yeah. that means it was in you it was just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so to my next question um what is faith based trauma and if you could explain to the listeners about your evidence-based model the one that you're developing okay so faith-based trauma are spiritual based trauma because it's um in in the arena of what we work you hear both ways is when someone's spirituality is actually used against them to cause them to have trauma or to cause them to have this this uh, abusive pattern that's presented um, for that affects their life. So it affects your daily life, your daily movement. So in turn, what we diagnose as trauma is something that literally affects your daily skills. It affects your movement. It affects your thought. It's something where it can stop you. Faith-based trauma is adding this, this component of the things, your, your faith tradition is now being used as a weapon against you versus something that's to be uplifting. Um, so for example, women who have been sexually abused in church and they've been asked to be quiet because it will not benefit the congregation if you tell on the pastor, deacon, leader that did that to you. So this is now faith-based trauma because then they put scripture or they put principle on top of it and you think, oh, okay, this is in the Bible where maybe if you look at Dinah's story in the Old Testament, she didn't get a chance to say anything. So I can't say anything for being abused. Let me be quiet. That'll wow. hurt the pastor. And so here you are with this trauma that follows because when you become an adult or if this happened to you as an adult, you don't have voice. And so now it's starting to affect your daily movement, daily involvement, 
um, especially at work, home, school, wherever it is. So that's where that came from. So the model that I am, the model in the curriculum that's being developed, and we've already started to use it and found that it's working. Wow, <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, we found that it is working in many different spaces. So it's something that kind of just came, I guess, from my thoughts uh, is uh, called Healthy Holy Concepts. And so we created that based upon our healthy, holy conversations that we have. And so I have a company named Mending Life Concept Empowerment Group. Uh, and it is literally ran by myself, um, my cousin, and my best friend. And so <laughs> we decided that we looked at these parts of the three-person part. And we said, what happens when we actually activate um, all three parts at one time? So you have your physical being, you have this mindset, but what happens when you activate soul and put all of that together? And so we wanted to look at implementing activities in our home area um, at the intersection of spirituality and emotional wellness. This is where all of that came from. Wow. So how do, you, how do you do that? We have to look and see where the trauma hits. So. Being from the Bible Belt, we find that a lot of people participate in church, but it's because that's tradition and that's what you're supposed to do. Also, being from the Bible Belt, we find that there's so many standards um, based on biblical principle that really don't line up with biblical principles. So, So we decided to take that model and we created a clinically aligned theological model or modality that can be used by practitioners, it can be used by um, pastors, and it can also be used in other spiritual settings. So people say, what does that mean? Like just churches? But we forget that college settings are spiritual settings for individuals. Because again, we looked at it from your, your 3D self, not 2D. So what does it look like when you activate mind, body, and soul all at one time? And what does that look like when we can get everything lined up? And so that is a biblical thought. Like if we can walk as one body and one mind and one soul, we might be healthy. Oh my goodness, yes. <laughs> That's a suggestion. So that is where that came from. And so um, a healthy, holy conversation is the first component. And so that is now being developed into a curriculum, uh, thanks to some people who decided to push me. Um, and so the first piece of curriculum that people can actually see um, that I'm doing now is uh, Repairing Church Hurt, which was pushed by Black Therapist Rock. So thank you to Duran Young um, for pushing me to do that because she was like, please do this <laughs> um, because people need that. So um, that's the first part of the curriculum that has been pushed out. And I've been teaching that probably, I think we're in our third session. I took a break cause I had, I was out of town for a week straight. So, um, it was two Sundays off, but we'll be back this Sunday. And so that looks at defining what is church. It looks at defining what is hurt. And then it looks at what, what does repair look like from a clinical standpoint? Um, so we, it is based on biblical principle because we're looking at, uh, an Afrocentric model of church. But we also go through what does it look like when we're judgmental of meditation and prayer. That's an Eastern thought, but we call it mm-hmm. prayer. They call it meditation. But what does it look like when this is a place where you repair and it's damaged? So um, the, that's the first piece of curriculum that's going out. But it is an eight model series that hopefully clinicians will want to take. The model is really designed to start from 18 through. And so for clinicians and for um, individuals and administrations on college campuses and for pastors, this is a model that will absolutely be freeing because it might be something like, I don't know a lot about the Bible. I don't know, I don't know a lot about clinical work. Um, and then the model always, um, for all parts that we do with the model, it invites clinicians, it invites pastors, and it also invites that administrative staff to refer out because that's something we don't do. 
a lot. We think we can fix it. But no, if you don't know it, you give this model and then I have a referral for you. So the referral is really big. Um, we've been able to do that in about four settings and the individuals loved it. We were able to connect them with what they needed and not try to be there for what they wanted in the immediate. Um, so it taught a lot more than what we thought it would. There are so many people who have um, stepped away from the faith because of church hurt. I experienced church hurt, you know, but my, my spirituality and my belief in Jesus Christ was strong enough that it didn't sway me away from it. So, right. and not only that, in the, in the college settings, you know, some children who have gone through um, any type of um, theological or seminary or anything like that in college, or they have been hurt by that as well mm -hmm. academically. So right. they're not just getting hurt from the church, they're getting hurt from the academics that are being teaching them incorrectly. So needed. I do spirituality and faith-based teachings in my treatment, in my practice as well. But that would be an awesome resource to have as well. Wow. Thank you. Thank so, you. I, we went on statistics too. Like we found out that there are 86% of entering freshmen into college have a mental health diagnosis. So what is, what, like, what does that look like? So, you know, it made us want to investigate, you know, home life and what does it look like prior? Um, we also found that 24% um, of individuals who um, are saying they're experiencing conflict or inner conflict is based on the fact that they're, they're, they're embedded theology or what the principles they learn are now clashing against their morals that they are learning in, in a college setting, even if they are sitting in their you know, faith traditions at the college campus, Baptist Union, whatever it may be, they're beginning to learn differently than what they learn from their pastor, from home. They're beginning to understand Bible on their own. And so now it's conflicting. And that also leads to anxiety and depression because what do I do with all this information when I go home? Because yes. it's different. Yeah. And so that's why it was really big when we saw it affecting college students, like how, how could you get this on the college campus? Um, and I've also worked on, a, I worked, on, I worked on a seminary campus and I used it with about three seminarians. All three of them are like, oh my God, like we're gonna ask, and see, can we get this on? Um, working with the provost right now to see, can I come on and do it? Um, because it absolutely led them to like a place of freedom. Because they were like, you know, at home, the Bible verse you just read to me, they didn't read the two verses before it. So like, right. it, it, I got stuck right there. So, um, mm. Because, you know, you got 45 minutes to 60 minutes with a person. If I can show you, this is where you can find it. I'm not doing anything that I haven't learned. I'm not doing anything that you can't go find to see it's already evidence-based. I think it's just a beautiful thing. And clinicians who have used it are like, oh my God, it saved me so much time. I didn't have to fight with my client about telling them that self-care is okay. Like you were able to show me self-care. You showed it to me in Bible. You showed it to me in the, uh, theoretical practice. My client walked out and said, okay, I can actually not cook dinner tonight for my husband because that's not in the Bible. <laughs> So when we talk about, okay, so how effective um, is faith-based treatment in your practice compared to traditional therapy and, and you know, counseling? I think all treatments, you know, you have to be able to see where your patient or your client may be. Um, speaking to clinicians, you have to know. So we, we named it a clinically aligned theological model 
because we didn't want to fail with the church model because of course we're going to miss we're going to have a gap in service and so one i think the model works well when i respect people's faith tradition right. um so that is a question that we ask but sometimes we ask it or we might even gloss over it and do an intake but i'm serious about that question because i want to know what is your faith tradition i don't want to insult that I'm Christian, but you may be Muslim. So where do I go with that? And so then here's this model. This is a fluid model that's an open base model. So here's the model. You just have to put in the, the theory with the theology. <laughs> so right. theology for this individual isn't an understanding of God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. I have to understand that. So, but again, clinicians don't get that. So to have this model rolled out and say, okay, these are the, these are the base components of understanding you can easily find a way to say, okay, this is how I'm going to treat this today. Um, working with an individual that was um, Muslim, like the, their understanding of life is, is beautiful. Like it's great. They have the same Old Testament piece that Christians do, you know, so how we move through life um, and this father of faith and doing that. So what, I was really able to look at Sarah at a different point with this particular individual um, because the question was, as a woman, what voice do I have as Muslim, I said, Sarah had lots of boys, and that's someone that you look at and you respect her. Well, yeah, she's the mother of faith. Okay, so Sarah had lots of boys. She had to hone in on her boys, because she also had lots of abuse that was emotional. And so she said, oh my God. So we went to attachment theory on that. <laughs> and so, right. you know, looking at attachment theory, what, what part of this attachment do you have to abuse? Because Sarah had it. You know, she married her half-brother, and he decided to use that whenever he felt like until she finally said no more. <laughs> um, <laughs> she said no more with Isaac when she said, I'm, I am your wife. I know I've settled for a lot. I've even entertained a lot myself, but I am not a mother of your child. And so she went with that. She questioned it. I mean, it was hard. She worked through it because she worked through trauma. She didn't realize the emotional trauma that she had. And, and neither, she said neither did her husband because of the things that he was basically just telling her to take because of this faith tradition that really was coming over there from, from their leader, not necessarily from this understanding of the scripture or understanding of Quran. So she went right. back with her husband and read it and was like, Sarah had power. I can be empowered too. And they had a daughter. So this started to change the makeup of home and voice. And it wasn't so emotionally painful for her to go home, which was beautiful. And it didn't disrespect her faith tradition at all. She was able to find it, show it, have evidence for it and it didn't disrupt her home. So, and that's, that's the beauty of a model. Like, hopefully it won't be disruptive. Right. And the fact that it starts to change things and causes divorce or causes rifts, but it will be disruptive in that it starts to bring things back together and clean up some stuff. Right, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Right. And I'm sure people in our listeners can appreciate that. Um, can you, well, what population um, do you believe responds well to the use of faith-based treatment? Is there any so, population that you noticed? Well, I've really worked in the South more so. Um, I have people who watch it. I, I do a live on Facebook who watch it from all over. But more so, I've had a, a good response from, from women in the South, actually, So, which would make sense because they're sitting in this abuse space. I'm beginning to have a, a larger response from male pastors um, who initially wanted to push back because they're like, I don't want to, I disagree until they started to see the need for self-care um, and seeing the statistics um, of watching watching pastors and pulpits walk away. I mean, I've literally watched a pastor say, this is my last sermon. Like, he wasn't fine. Uh -huh. <laughs> like, the stress of being a pastor, this is my last sermon. 
thank you. It just left, you know. So are the are even contemplating suicide, or even how they mishandle their bodies and their sacredness, and so this taboo of you know a pastor can cheat on his wife and it'll be okay, but they're realizing it's not okay that I'm giving myself to all these people because I'm just looking for a release. But this isn't really what I want, you know. And so I've had a, a larger response in about a month or so. A pastor saying, "So can I talk to you privately? Because um, I don't want people to know that I'm actually questioning what I learned from my mentor, which is this is what you're supposed to do. Because it's not. I can't find it. You're right. I'm looking for it, <laughs> and I can't find that I'm supposed to walk in this level of pain and hurt. Um, wow. And so I'm finding that. So women and pastors are coming um and one pastor in particular she was actually a female pastor and i and she said you know i have to hold the weight of the people and i said that's not biblical nor is that therapeutic that you hold on the people's weight and she said well i'm a counselor like jesus and i said that's no counselors are always taught to either have their own therapist find a way to get rid of that weight from their clients because we are not fixers i said i don't know why pastors who assume their counselors have to have that i said the bible tells us to cast our care it gives us that it gives us that advice in Old and New Testament to cast our cares upon God. So when you take on this weight of people, you should immediately be throwing it out, which means you should have a therapist. You should have this this audience with God to cast your cares. Um, since then, that was probably about a, six weeks ago. She inboxed me and she said, "Thank you." She said, "My people are so happy. I'm not angry. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not looking at them like don't talk to me today. I'm not running away right after the sermon. Like I'm able to shake a hand and say, well, just give it to God,' and really feel comfortable about that." And I said, "Yeah, because you've been holding things that don't belong to you, the with theology and with you know with with the clinical practice stance. You you've been doing it wrong, <laughs> and so." She's been able to walk in a place of freedom and feel good. Like she's like, I'm back in the gym. I'm smiling again. I'm happy. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah so working through that. So, and I believe I, that I, I'm seeing it working. And I'm sorry, but I'm that 23rd Psalm is is there for a reason. He yes. maketh me lie down <laughs> right. in green pastures. <laughs> he leadeth me beside still waters, which is waters. relaxing. Yes. He restores my soul. soul. That means if I'm pouring out to other people, I have to be restored. Right. right. And it's you know, for his namesake. So exactly. I think the part we miss is so God can eventually get credit for yes. this, not you. So you're carrying the weight of people. Are you doing these elaborate moments that now are not godly, but more so magical because you're just making stuff happen? It's not for God's sake. It's not for the namesake of God. So right. it's really hurting you. And God is like, I'm not in that. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> can you um can you speak to um about the the types of mental health disorders that respond positively to this or anything that you've noticed in particular? I found that um, depressed mood um, and anxiety respond really well to this. Um, depressed mood and anxiety, of course, you know, they run, I always say um, that they're twins. <laughs> so yes. they run together. Um, and I found that it absolutely helps to calm the mind because you start running on the assumption of what you're supposed to be doing. You actually see a model where this is where I can fit and this is where myself matters. And so if I can care for me, then I'm able to, I have the ability to care for others in space where I can. Um, so it's really, I've saw people, you know, reduce their anxiety. 
um, and have a better mood and not so much as a depressed mood because they realize that to operate in a space that I'm designed for is beautiful. I'm not overdoing anything. <laughs> yes. Anxiety and depression, big time. Yeah. Um, you being a licensed therapist and having a degree in divinity, is that correct? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, what advice do you have for other mental health providers who may be considering offering faith-based options in their practice? I would definitely say sit with someone who understands how to use that um, and use it in a way that's healthy. Uh, I, I know a lot of practitioners who are like, well, I'm a Christian and I have, you know, my credentials, so I can use the Bible however I want to use it. <laughs> or I'm this and I can use it however I wanted to use it. They hadn't had any training, they hadn't sat down. And I'm not suggesting to go get a degree in divinity or go study psychology and religion, which was my concentration when I did that. But I am suggesting that you find someone that can show you how to use this in space and time so that you don't cause harm to your client and that you don't cause harm to yourself. <laughs> um, and that you also are a true studier of whatever faith tradition you're trying to use. Like I don't, like I wouldn't sit with the client that I had unless I sat down and read and understood the faith tradition enough. And I invited her to teach me, which is something clinicians don't want to hear. Like I, my client can't tell me nothing. Yes, they can. You know, if this is going to go and I asked her permission, can we talk about your faith? Um, and so, you know, I know for most of us, it'll be probably Bible based and a Christian based, but what does that look like when you're not diligent in studying the faith tradition? Like you, you can't use it because it will harm you and the other person. So Absolutely. be diligent and be diligent and study be diligent in going to look and seek. Um, be diligent in that so that when you do apply the theory to the theology, you can make sure you do that and it's right there. Um, all my clients will tell you, it's lit the words are right there. Like she's not making up stuff. <laughs> um, she's not going, pulling stuff out the air. Right. Like I read the text and then I'll jump down to the theory and say, this is what we're gonna work with today. And they are all like, I can go home and show my family like this is what I found and it's right there um and it's something we maybe have overlooked or we didn't understand it in a way that was healthy and so be careful um I don't think this is a model that everybody will use but I do think that if it's something that comes up in practice you now have a place to refer um this model you know again is designed for practitioners and pastors um and for administrators and um <clears throat> and upper education, you know, so they can purchase it for the people who need it. But at the end of the day, you don't have to have a license to use this model. That's the beauty of it. But you do have to be responsible with the model that you harm other people. Yeah. So uh, just so I'm clear, the the model is now available for clinicians to... So the, mod the model will be available summer of 2019, the entire okay. model. Um, okay. the, fir the first module um, will, be will be developed by the end of December. Uh, because we're using it on on the um, webinar we're doing, but we want to make sure we clean it up so that people can have access. Um, and it will be available on a platform where they can just go get it. So you can purchase it, download it, and go back to it. Um, and I'll also be available for questions. Um, and, of course, I'm training my team on how to – they helped me write it, but, of course, it was like, go pull that. they just getting stuff done. So um, they still will be thoroughly trained on how to use the model um, because it's not a model to beat people up, uh, which I think initially – when I first introduced this to just my family, they were like, oh, this is going to beat people up about their Bible. And I was like, no, it's, it's really so that you can kind of see yourself a part of this 
and see that it's okay to be it's okay to be in a mental health space that's not healthy as long as you go seek help for it. Right. You don't stay there. Um, what information would you like to share with listeners who may be seeking faith-based treatment? So I, of course, I, I'm not, I did not create all faith-based treatment. I wish I could say that. <laughs> I wish that, that would be my ideal comment to say I made this up, but I did. So <laughs> right, other, right. Yeah, there are other models. Um, I would definitely say if you're going to seek a model, seek one that fits your faith tradition and seek one that's going to put you in healthy space, in a continual healthy space. Um, do not seek one just because your pastor or your therapist said, oh, go get that one. Anyone will work. Um, of course, to design this model, we went through different ones. So I didn't just wake up and say, oh, you know, I, I got this idea. You know, it was like, let's go see what's out there. Let's go find the research. Um, even SAMHSA, which is the, you know, national mental health piece, they even have a model that's trauma-based and faith-based. And, and they say it like that because they don't try to merge it. Um, but even that model has some gaps because they want, they point out the trauma and then they don't know how to bring the Bible or the faith base back to the trauma. They just say, well, you know, I mean, people are getting hurt at church and we know it's traumatic. Go see a therapist, which might not be smart. Right, <laughs> um, right. You know, because you might not pick the right therapist. And so that therapist may be someone that's like, lead a church, you know, and that's not what you're trying to do. Um, and so you need to make sure that you do that in balance. So right. anybody who's going to try to seek out someone that uses a faith model of any type, make sure that they, it looks like you, it feels like you, and it's something that's healthy for you. Um, I've sat in other faith models personally, and they, it got to a point where it was not healthy. Um, we got to a point, I, I'm, I always say, if anybody watches me live, I say, I'm not a fan of Paul. So yeah. this is why, like, you know, cause it got to a point where the person was like, you know, um, being who you are and looking how you look, there's always a place of in, uh, inferiority. I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> you know, well, this is, this is God's design. Um, and now you walk into freedom from slavery. I'm like, this is not God's design for me to sit up under you and feel crappy. Um, you know, so I was like, I don't think I should come back. So looking at that, I'm like, this doesn't make sense. And and coming up with finding, and I also went other places where it didn't make sense because it was too over my head. Like, you know, this let's connect with such and such and such. I don't want to connect with nothing. I just want to get some <laughs> um, You know, like, I don't want to do that either. So I would definitely say find the spaces that fit. And any good, any good therapist is going to tell you that if I don't fit and I don't match, I will give you a referral. Absolutely. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't know too many therapists that are great at what they do that say, I can fix all things. We know we can't. No, <laughs> and that's not at the all. beauty of it. Not yeah. at all. <laughs> How can people connect with you? What are what are the ways that people could connect with you? Do you have social media and um or anything like that? And I will make it available in show notes. Okay. So um they can connect with me on Facebook. Um you can connect with me at MLC Consulting, that's my private practice. Um, or they can connect with me at Mending Life Concepts Empowerment Group, which is a nonprofit um that this kind of was birthed out of. What's and the so they can page uh, the facebook page is it's mlc consulting okay um yeah and I, and the other one is mlceg so um at mlceg if you type that in on facebook you should be able to find us but it's mending life and it's mending life concepts empowerment group and um you can also find us at uh we have a web page uh mendinglifeconcepts.com and so it's www.mendinglifeconcepts.com um, and so my beautiful patient, my patient pop up somewhere on the page. But, 
Amen, Miss Margaret. Thank you. Thank you. You are very welcome. I will definitely be reaching out to you. And again, <laughs> I just want to say thank you for agreeing to do this with me. And God bless you and your mission. And thank your you, mission. thank you, thank you. Yes, and bless you. I, I want this to touch the world. So keep yes. going. It will. <laughs> it will. Yes. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you wish to connect with the Kaimi McCoy, please visit her website at www.life-counseling-transitions.com. Thanks again. We hope you return.